Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week seven's in the books. Um, I got one of my picks right this weekend. That was good. How are, how are you? Did you enjoy the games? How many picks did I get right? Uh, about the same number. Oh, okay. So we're really good at picking games against the spread. That That's, you know, you could say it that way. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to be talking to my therapist this week about how the picks are going because, <laughs> oh boy, it has been it has been a challenge this year. Yeah, and if the therapist took any of our picks, the therapist might be talking to you, Joey. That's right. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we we've been trying to promote this whole hashtag Fade Joey initiative, and that's really that's really the true public service here. We're making the people some money by fading me and my picks. Um, that has been a profitable endeavor this year. Mike, we got a lot of games to talk about here, seven to be exact, and uh, let's just go ahead. We we kind of agreed there's a good amount to talk about with all of these games. So this is probably going to take a little while. So let's just go ahead and jump in without you know wasting any more time. Yep. Let's start with your Hokies, Mike, uh, who fell 23-16 to the Wake Forest, Stephen Deeks. Uh, this was my pick of the week. Shocker. Uh, was the Hokies to cover nine. They didn't, and they, they lost the game outright. Mike, I know you watched this game a little more closely than I did. Uh, from what I could tell, Virginia Tech lost this game in the trenches. Uh, they lost this game, turning the ball over a couple of times. Uh, defensively, there were a couple of glitches that resulted in long plays for Wake Forest. Um, this was not a pretty outing for the Hokies, but give credit to Wake Forest. I mean, they they played well. They took advantage of their opportunities. Really good win for the Steam and Deeks. Great win for Wake Forest. Don't want to take anything away from them. Um, Sam Hartman was fine. The running game was really, really good um, at times. <laughs> in the first half, it was real good. Mm-hmm. In the second half, Virginia Tech's defense, like it has for most of the season, made some adjustments and played better. Uh, there was a drive in the first half towards the end of the half. Uh, Wake Forest converted three different fourth down conversions on the same drive. Yep. Um, eventually went in and scored. A so 17 that was a play issue. drive. Yep. Took up most of the second quarter. Uh, not great for Virginia Tech's defense. The issue that we've talked about with the Hokies this year was the defensive line, right? And has been the defensive line. Uh, Looked really good in the opener, pressuring uh, Bailey Hawkman and NC State. But other than that, Tech's had a hard time, A, putting pressure on the quarterback, but B, um, filling gaps against the run. It's been a major problem for the Hokies this year. And Saturday was no different, at least early in the game. But you know what, Joey? For the first time this year, you can't pin this on the defense. You can't. I'm yeah, sorry. No. Um, that there was that one ugly drive, the 17 play drive, where Wake picks up all those fourth down conversions and scores a touchdown before halftime, and that wasn't great for the defense, right? And that's going to stand out to a lot of people, and it should. It, it's not good, and it, it can't happen. But Virginia Tech, offensively, was an absolute dumpster fire in this football game, Joey. It was weird to watch. 
Like, you get so used to, I mean, Hendon Hooker usually looks so composed and so good, and he's on target with his passes, and you've gotten used to watching Khalil Herbert just finding lanes and, you know, ripping off chunk yardage after chunk yardage on in the run game, and just, like, none of that was in place in this game. I, it was weird to watch for me. Yeah, Tech's offense was totally out of rhythm for a lot of the game. Credit Wake Forest defense. Um, their defensive line, I thought, did a really nice job. Virginia Tech, for as good as the offensive line has been, the offensive line has been really good all year. We we keep talking about it on this podcast, especially with run blocking. Um, it, they were not as good on Saturday blocking Wake Forest front. Um, defensively, I thought Wake Forest did a really nice job in the trenches and really put pressure on a Virginia Tech offensive line that's looked to be one of the best in the ACC to this point in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a really nice job defensively, I thought, in making the Virginia Tech offensive line uncomfortable in pass protection, making Hendon Hooker uncomfortable. It was Hooker's worst game that he's played as a starter at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers, ironically, the numbers don't look too bad. He was 17 of 33 for 223 yards, did have a touchdown pass, had three interceptions, but it was really just two. I mean, the one at the end, it's desperation. You're down a touchdown. You know, you're starting at your own two yard line. There's 40, 46 seconds left or whatever it was. You have no timeouts. Yeah. So it's it's desperation time. You have you know, you're going for chunk plays because that's your only hope. And, you know, he threw a ball up into coverage and got intercepted. That is what it is. The bigger issue was the turnover before halftime. Tech turns it over in the red zone. Hooker throws a bad interception, gets tipped and picked off. He misses high over the middle in the second half, which was a really, really poor throw. The worst interception he threw by far was the one they threw in the third quarter. Yep. Um, so that wasn't good. Um, Virginia Tech, <laughs> when you look at the stats, it's very interesting, right? Because Virginia Tech outgains Wake Forest 433 to 316. Um, the time of possession was basically split. Virginia Tech had 28 first downs to Wake Forest 17. Had the but, yards like, per play edge yards per play edge like they have like they've had against every single one of their opponents except for North Carolina this year. So a lot of the statistics when you look at them at face value do favor the Hokies until you look at two key statistics that you mentioned. One being the turnovers and two being the penalties. Virginia Tech commits 10 penalties in this game for 112 yards. There were two inexcusable personal foul penalties. One was on um, Jared Hewitt in the uh, first half. He was ejected for a targeting call that wasn't the issue. Um, you're not going to, and Justin Fuente said as much after the game, you can't get mad at your guys for trying to make a football play. He gets ejected for targeting Sam Hartman on a sack, um, but it was what happened after that, Joey. Hewitt gets called for a personal foul penalty because he basically just lost, you know, blew his top and exploded at the officials for being thrown out of the game. 15-yard penalty, so Wake Forest gets 30 yards in penalties on, on one play there. Um, and, and then Norrell Pollard in the fourth quarter, Virginia Tech is up against it, and defensive tackle Norrell Pollard gets called for a personal foul. It was a ticky-tack soft call, but it was way after the whistle. Um, you can't; ha- It just can't happen. Um, and th- there, those were two uh, personal foul penalties out of several that were an issue for Virginia Tech, and you can't have 112 yards in penalties against a well-coached team, which is what Wake Forest is. Virginia Tech you look at the statistics, Virginia Tech is the better football team than Wake Forest. Nobody's disputing that. They were a two-touchdown, nearly a two-touchdown favorite for a reason. I think the line closed at uh, 10 and a half in some places, 11 in others. So, uh, you know, Tech was in a spot where they should have won this game by double digits. They didn't. They played poorly. They beat themselves. 
Tech's a good football team. I think they'll be okay, but they're not good enough to overcome penalties and turnovers against a well-coached football team. And Wake Forest took advantage of it at home like they should. A lot of credit to Dave Clawson. Again, one of the more underrated coaches in the country. Um, we talk about him being a good coach in the ACC, Joey, but we know that he's he's a guy who probably should have gotten a power a bigger Power 5 job at this point, at mm-hmm. least I believe so, with the way that he coaches. Um, and he had Wake Forest ready, and they made enough plays. And um, shout out to Anderson, the safety for Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Walk on. He has three interceptions, 11 tackles. He's the national defensive player of the week from several publications. He was outstanding. He's now on scholarship, so shout out to him. Shout out to the Hokies, of course, for making that happen as well. Um, So really, really just disappointed with the performance by Virginia Tech, but this is what happens when you don't play as well as you need to. Yeah. I I, I don't know how to explain what happened to Virginia Tech on Saturday. Again, it it was strange to me. Watching Virginia Tech's offensive line, which, as you mentioned, has been, you know, one of the best, if not the best in the conference this year. And they're just getting pushed around by a Wake Forest front that I think I've come to think of as Boogie Basham and just three other dudes that are just on the field wearing Wake Forest colors. Like pretty much. Yep. I mean, they've, they've been pretty unspectacular for most of the year. And yet, yeah, they were just pushing around Wake uh, Virginia Tech's offensive line. Hokies were struggling to get much of anything going in the run game. It was it was just it was strange. It was really bizarre. I don't know if this is a, a Hokies. I, I, the only thing I can maybe think of is this is pointing to a trend a little bit of the Hokies starting to struggle a little bit in road games. Um, they've played three road games so far this year. They're one and two. The win was against Duke in a game that was. It took them a while to put the game away, and now you've lost to UNC in a game that they just kind of got way behind early and and couldn't really dig themselves out. And against Wake Forest, who you probably sh- should have beaten comfortably and lost the game outright. Um, right. So that's not a good trend to me if you're if you're Virginia Tech looking at kind of what this season has been so far, and then looking ahead to next week where you're going to go on the road to take on a potentially feisty Louisville team. That we'll talk about a little bit later, but like Louisville yeah. team might be figuring some things out. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that on the preview show. But this is this is not a great showing for Virginia Tech. Not what we've come to expect from them this year. But again, as we mentioned, and and I can't overstate this. Like credit to Wake Forest. This is yes. They looked a lot better in this game than I really expected to see from much of any this year. Uh, realizing, I mean, just. Again, no Jamie Newman, no Sage Surratt. Like, take your pick of guys that they're missing from last year's team. This felt Cade like it was Carney. Be, Cade Carney, sure. Like, this felt like it was going to be a, a gap year completely for Wake Forest, and and it started that way a little bit. But man, they look good, and that's that's a well coached team. That I mean, they're they're pretty consistently outgunned in terms of talent, but that doesn't really matter. It doesn't show up that way in the, in the win loss record. So credit to them and credit to Dave Clawson for getting them ready to play and, and going out and pulling the upset. Yep. I'm totally shocked by the outcome of the game, but then if you watch it, I thought wake forest was the better team for much of the game, which mm-hmm. look, Justin Fuente, this is the sixth time that Virginia tech has been ranked and has lost to an unranked opponent in his tenure. That's basically one a year. <laughs> so, yep. We're in we're in year five under Fuente. That is the sixth loss to an unranked team when Tech has been ranked. That is a major problem and not a good trend. And it's something we continue to talk about. Tech 
did this under Beamer too, so it's not just exclusive to Fuente, but it just feels like Tech always loses one of the at least one of these games a year. They probably should win. They're the better team on paper, and they come out and look absolutely flat. Um, but again, credit Wake Forest. Um, a lot of people had like the Louisville game next week. A lot of people had that game circled as the one that Virginia Tech could lose, where they may be the better team. Uh, so Wake Forest. <laughs> Wake Forest is the team in the. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're rolling roulette. This is it. Like, Wake uh, Forest is the team, I guess. And they could still definitely lose to Louisville with the way Louisville looks. So, yeah, t- take temperature of that too. I, I was definitely thinking about that earlier today. That your your mention coming into this season in previous seasons, all that that Virginia Tech just has a habit of losing a game that they probably shouldn't every year. Man, I can't help but look at this game and think that that's that's a prime example. Um, and you just got to really hope this year that it's not two games that they shouldn't be losing. Right, because then we're, <laughs> then we're talking about Virginia Tech and this roster being the best it's been in a while, and this was supposed to be the year where Tech is good and puts together a nice year, you know, seven, eight, nine wins in a shortened schedule, and mm-hmm. you start piling up losses against teams you should probably beat, and man, oh man, next year will be real interesting for Fuente. They got to get this thing turned around quicker. Yep. Wake Forest 23, Virginia Tech 16. Mike, you good to move on? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Um, Clemson 47, Syracuse 21. A comfortable, easy win for the Tigers here. Uh, Nice little stroll in the park for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, No issues here. Clemson just handling their business. You know, impressive job of Syracuse to score a couple points at the end of the game to cover. And uh, just a really nice, easy afternoon there in Death Valley for Clemson. Right, Mike? Yeah, that's definitely how it went. Yep, that's the story of the game. Um, that's actually completely untrue. <laughs> that is completely untrue. Uh, Mike, at one point, Syracuse, <laughs> Rex Culpepper throws an 83-yard touchdown pass to Nikeem Johnson in the middle of the third quarter, and they yep. pulled within 27 to 21. Yeah, and you know what happened after that, Joey? They had two separate possessions after that where they had an opportunity to take the lead against the number one team in the country. Yes, they did. Dude, I don't know what on earth it is that Dino does with his team in the week leading up to Clemson or in the games during Clemson. And I don't know what spell he puts on Dabo Swinney. I don't, I don't understand because it is like without fail that this Syracuse team under Dino Babers almost every year will walk in just like, they're not even walking in with like a knife to a gunfight. They're, they're walking in with like their bare hands to a gunfight. Right. Right. And somehow for like three quarters of that gunfight, they're still standing tall and like throwing punches. I don't know how this happens. What what you know how this ends up being there, but somehow, some way, they are like Clemson's kryptonite. It is it is wild to watch. Clemson like got up seventeen to nothing in the first quarter, and basically threw it in cruise control. Except the problem was that they threw it in cruise control at like thirty five miles an hour, while Syracuse was still kind of speeding up. And all of a sudden, you look in the rearview mirror, and holy crap, there's Syracuse. Yeah, um, I was in the car with Scott. Shout out, Scott. We were in the car, and Clemson scores like less than two minutes into the game. And we're listening to the Sirius XM college football whip around mm-hmm. um, on ESPNU. And Scott basically looks at me and says, all right, this is going to be a route, as we all expect. And then we checked on the score later, like an hour later. We were like, wait, wait a minute. What is happening here? Why is and, this a game? Yeah, and sure enough, I mean, you mentioned the long touchdown pass to Nikeem Johnson in the third quarter. I'm sitting there looking at 
Clemson 27, Syracuse 21, and I'm starting to wonder, uh, is this the game that Clemson all of a sudden loses? Mm -hmm. And it was very odd to think that, given the fact that Clemson closed as a 47-point favorite. Um, They scored 47. They gave up 21. And I was surprised that Syracuse scored the way that they did in this football game. Um, This game hit the over, I believe, Joey, right? It wasn't like low to mid-60s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This game went over, but it wasn't because Clemson got there by themselves, like we mentioned Mm -hmm. in the preview. We were wrong about that. It was because Syracuse contributed 21 points to the the cause there. I was so Uh, mad. I was so ready to take Syracuse, and I did take Syracuse, and then I just, like, talked myself out of it. God, this whole year is just pissing me off from a pick standpoint. Um, Speaking of picks, uh, Clemson gets the ball back. Syracuse punts to him with about a minute and a half left in the first half. First play turns into a pick six, which like that almost I think that's like the first time that Trevor Lawrence had that happen to him in two and a half years. (laughs) Like that's the level of absurdity that we're talking about is that things that have never happened to Trevor Lawrence in two and a half years were happening in this game. Like it is so beyond explanation how how and why this stuff happens. Uh, Yeah. Syracuse uh, blocks a punt from Clemson like. I guess that's the level of sleepy that Clemson was in this game. So they get yeah. They get pause the ball. though. Yeah. Pa- pause though, because the special teams is now becoming a recurring issue for Clemson. Yes. There, there's a theme there, and and it's not like it's a weekly thing over the past five or so years, but right. there's a number of kind of key important moments that you can point to in games over the years that as much as Clemson's got everything really buttoned up on offense and on defense for the most part, there are, there are some weaknesses there. There are some weak points. You can hit some crits there to, to speak to the kids there. You can hit some crits on them on special teams. That's right. That's right. Um, didn't think I was going yes. there. Did you? I, I didn't, but <laughs> here we are. Um, that's a little problematic. Also, I thought what was interesting too, is that Clemson was without James Skalski in this game at linebacker and Tyler Venables played a decent amount and played pretty well, which I, I mean, look, you're the defensive coordinator's son and it's not like he gets just a free invitation to be on the team. Like Will Swinney. Um, yeah. he's actually a decent, a decent player. He, yeah. He's but, actually a much better player than all the other Swinney's and Herb streets on the team. Yes, that's, that's correct. Where it's a free invitation because of who your dad is. <laughs> um, that's, that's not what Tyler Venables is at all. He's a, he's a good player. He's probably going to start here down the line for Clemson. How does he compare to Jake Venables? Ah, man. <laughs> What's <laughs> I mean, he start. I mean, he's a freshman. He starts and then he's second on the team in tackles in this game. So he's probably a little bit better than Jake. I would we, say we can save the, uh, Clemson coach's son power rankings for another show. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you know what's interesting about this too is Clemson obviously didn't play their best game. Syracuse, I thought, was feisty. Uh, best game Syracuse has played all year, I would say. Yeah. Um, outside of their one win, but we won't talk about that. Uh, Please don't. <laughs> we had enough of that. Um, best game Syracuse has played all year, and in my opinion. Clemson just kind of fumbles around for three quarters and then just blows the doors off of Syracuse. That's that's the funny thing about this, too. It's like Clemson played poorly and won by 26. So mm-hmm. long term, I'll tell you what I'm not worried about. Clemson. I am not worried about Clemson. Some people might have that take this week. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. Yeah. Clemson punts with a couple minutes left in the third quarter. Um, 
pretty quickly after there is a sack fumble that is returned for a touchdown by Andrew Booth. And then on the next couple possessions, Clemson's offense goes four plays, 67 yards, touchdown, three plays, three yards, touchdown. So, I mean, they kind of put the game away there, uh, you know, kind of in the early fourth quarter. Um, and it happened pretty quick because, yeah, it really felt like you had Clemson almost – I mean, they had a six-point lead, but he f- still kind of had a feeling of, like, you, Clemson, y'all are, like, 45-point favorites. Uh, why are they within one score late in the third quarter? Right. Right. So, like, from that standpoint, they were kind of backed into a corner, and then all of a sudden they just, like, sword fought their way out of it, and the game was over. So, right. A lot of weird fight references here. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, clearly a game that it seemed like Clemson felt like they could just kind of roll their helmets out there and win. And, frankly, they, they could, and they kind of did. Um, right. But that's where you saw this kind of threat from Syracuse, I think, was – a couple of really big, lucky, kind of lucky plays that ended up making a huge impact on the game. Um, I, you know, and, and I'm not going to lie, it doesn't feel good watching Clemson kind of struggle to beat Syracuse a week after they just, um, I don't know that I can really speak of the things that they did to Georgia Tech the week before, but it wasn't, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't safe for work and it wasn't for a family show. So, um, you know. Doing that against what I think is a worse Syracuse team and, and struggling in this game didn't make me feel better. No, uh, it shouldn't. But hey, look, uh, Clemson, <laughs> yeah, Clemson long term, I think will be just fine. You think? Just fine. I do. Okay. All right. uh, I do. I, take my word for it. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. But it was a little odd to see Syracuse just kind of hanging around. I mean, this is by far Clemson's worst game of the year so far. This is the worst they've played. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if Clemson plays this way in South Bend in two weeks, uh, we might be having some questions. Not that Clemson can't fight their way out of it and just beat 90% of the teams they play, mm-hmm. but we might be having a few questions coming out of that game if all of a sudden Clemson is just kind of fumbling around for three quarters because the way Notre Dame looked, Joey, they could just get outright beat if Notre Dame plays like they did against Pittsburgh. So we'll get into that later, but who's to say? I mean, we can get a, get into that here in just a second. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a, just a little mini prediction here, Mike. Uh-huh, yeah. I think Clemson's going to kill Notre Dame. I do, too. I don't think it's going to be close. I do, too. Not I think that's a three three-score game. Clemson 47, Syracuse 21. Let's move on to that game in particular, Mike. I'm going to call it a little audible. We'll go, we'll go there next. Uh, Notre mm-hmm. Dame 45, Pittsburgh not 45. Uh, Pittsburgh 3. Pittsburgh's dead. Joey, it, Pitt's dead. Mike, the, uh, the, the Pitt super weapon did get fired, uh, but it, it kind of got backfired, and they shot themselves with it, and <laughs> this game was over after, like, maybe 20 minutes of football. This was ugly, bad, 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 bad for Pittsburgh. Yeah, speaking of fired in a normal year, Pat Narduzzi would probably be getting fired. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So where do we want to start here? Should we start with your outright prediction that Pitt would win? I mean, if you want to start there, we can. We we both (sighs) picked him to cover 10. And, and honestly, a lot of the world picked him to cover 10. And in fact, I was listening to the uh, the solid verbal preview where Ty, of course, is a Notre Dame fan, a, a lifer fan. And he was very specifically saying, if you think Notre Dame is going to cover 10 in this game, you have rocks in your head. This is the kind of game, the kind of rivalry that is always so physical and close and just inexplicable 
you know, in the way that that all happens, that there is just not a chance that this game is going to get out of hand on that level. And then it did. It did. Um, and what I mentioned in the preview, and you did agree with me, so I'm going to give you a little bit of credit here, Joey. I mentioned that Notre Dame's rushing attack would struggle against Pittsburgh's rushing defense, mm-hmm. which, I mean... They did. I don't want to sit here and pretend like that's this bold, bold prediction. You know, the number one... Or I guess the number two rushing offense in the conference going up against the top ranked rushing defense in the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, mano y mano, like Pitt's rushing defense turns out is pretty good. Real good. But Pittsburgh's secondary is real bad. Yeah. And, and what worse. I mentioned, yes. And what I mentioned was there was a path for Notre Dame to win this game in a blowout. And it was with their passing offense that had not shown up really except for the South Florida game and a little bit against Florida State. Yep. And we and, just didn't think they could do it. We were wrong. We were we were wrong. Yes, they they did it. Congratulations, Ian Book, on your 312 yards and three touchdowns. Shout out to Ben Skronik, uh, the transfer, two catches for 107 yards and two touchdowns. That include a 73 yard bomb. Uh, Michael Mayer, freshman, five catches, 73 yards and a touchdown. Joey Notre Dame found a passing attack against a really terrible Pittsburgh passing defense. Yep. Yeah, I I'm extra disappointed really and kind of what has become of this Pitts secondary because a year ago I mean they were excellent they were great and it's pretty much all the same guys back it's the same coaching staff everything and yet all of a sudden now this secondary has kind of become a mess um, there there is uh, you know blown coverages to be had left and right as mentioned you still can't run the ball against them Notre right. Dame tried they tried to run the ball 50 times in this game Mike they came away with 115 yards like that is, you know, almost collectively your your Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week award goes to the Notre Dame rushing attack. Um, yeah, I would agree. Now, granted, three of those attempts were sacks, or maybe two of them, but the other forty eight were not, and you still came away with just you know not even two and a half yards per carry, so not great. Right. Um, I yeah, I, I just. I, I will say this. I was impressed with the fact that Notre Dame was able to put it together in the passing game. That was something that we have not really seen from him, as you mentioned. Um, and to be able to do it here and take advantage of that weakness in the pit defense was a good development for Notre Dame. In bad weather. In bad weather. Yeah, it, it was It was a bit of a messy game. You know, a little bit of wind. You know, some things going on. You know, but for Ian Book, I mean, 16 of 30 doesn't look great. But doing it for 312 and three scores and no picks, like... I, you know, that'll work. That'll work. So yep. this is a, a good win for Notre Dame. I'm not coming out of this, you know, deluded into thinking that all of a sudden that they are some incredible force to be reckoned with beyond what we ever thought they might be to begin with. Right. Um, as mentioned, I still think Clemson's going to kill them uh, here in a couple weeks. I do, too. But, you know, it, it's it's nice to see them walk into a spot that everybody in the world is just looking at saying, oh, this is going to this is going to go poorly for Notre Dame and see them yep. not only, you know, emerge without totally, you know, pooping their pants on national television, but to emphatically win the game uh, and, and almost make a statement. That's a that's a good sign. That'll work. Right. I'll say this. Notre Dame's losing two games this year. They're losing to Clemson in two weeks and they're losing to Clemson in the ACC championship game. I'll put that on record right now. Notre Dame is the second best team in the ACC. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of what what North Carolina is able to bring to them on Thanksgiving gonna, weekend. I, 
I think they're going to slaughter North Carolina. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally wrong with that, and maybe North Carolina's offense has a lot more success against Notre Dame's defense than I think, and Notre Dame's passing offense struggles again, and that that's the path for North Carolina to to win that game going away. I think there's blowout potential there in Notre Dame's favor, which is something I did not think at the beginning of the year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I think especially if you're if you're looking at that. And we'll, we'll preview that in, in you know in plenty of time, but right, it's a North Carolina defense thing with me. It's not it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with Sam Howell and all them. Offense looks great; they played yeah. well. I it's it's got nothing to do with that. It's I'm a little bit concerned about their defense. For what it's worth, SP Plus has Notre Dame is two point eight points better than North Carolina. There you go, inside a field goal. And so then play that in Chapel Hill. It'll be probably like a one to two point spread. Notre yep. Dame probably favored, but just by a little bit. Right. So we'll have we'll have our uh, our chance to talk about them here uh, yep. in a few weeks. Yep. Notre Dame has a a pretty brutal road trip. They got to go take on my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets next week. That man, they must not be looking forward to that. Ooh man, I'm I haven't looked at the line for that yet, but uh, I think it's like eighteen, nineteen. Hmm. Okay. Give me the Irish. Yeah, uh, me too. Let's go there next. Irish 45, Pittsburgh 3. Big yikes, Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. So maybe the super weapon's still charging, but, I mean, <laughs> this was not Pitt's dead. inspiring. Pitt's, Pitt's dead, I think. Mm-hmm. Nice start to the year, but they're dead now. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Um, last thing that we'll do. I, I do, we, we need to have a, a bit of a conversation at some point about Pat Narduzzi. And we, we've talked about this a little bit. Is like at this point with Pittsburgh, like what are you clinging to with Pat Narduzzi? Is it that they won the Coastal Division two years ago in a season that they finished seven and seven? Like <laughs> I forgot about that. Like you, yeah, you won seven games, but you won the division. I mean, yeah, Pe- Pepperidge Farms remembers. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that was something. His his best Pittsburgh team has been his second year when Matt Canada was his offensive coordinator. I will die on that hill, Mike. <laughs> I will die on it. That was a great Pittsburgh team. They're really fun to watch, and they have just been anything but ever since. Yeah. Hugh Freeze, next Pittsburgh head coach, is going to be one interesting phenomenon. Oh, man, you're going to piss some Pittsburgh people off with that one. (laughs) Yes, I am. Uh, Notre Dame 45, Pittsburgh 3. Let's move on, Mike. Boston College 48, Georgia Tech 27. Just like we all expected. (sighs) Well... I was wrong about this one. Mike, if I told you coming out of this game, Phil Dracovic was going to throw for a grand total of 145 yards in this game. What like just tell me tell me I'm wrong to think that you would have put in a sizable bet on Georgia Tech to win the game outright. You were not wrong. I would have thought that Georgia Tech would have won that game going away. Yeah, like by big numbers. Yep. Uh well, turns out Phil Dracovic did not need to throw the ball that much because all of a sudden Boston College can run the ball really well, Mike. I guess no, anybody can run the ball against this potentially garbage Georgia Tech defense. I don't know. I I side with you on that, but there's no way Boston College has actually found a rushing attack. No. So let's not let's not go playing that narrative up, Joey. No, not at all. Um, Mike, can you do me a favor here, real quick? I can. Um, I need you to pull out your phone and yep. I, need, I need you to set a timer for about call it ninety seconds. Okay. Just give me ninety seconds here, a minute and a half. I need to get it all out, and then I will try to move on. How's this? Does that work? Sounds good to me. You are on the clock in three, two, one, go. 
This team drives me up a damn wall, Mike. It is it is so frustrating watching the level of inconsistency and horrible coaching that goes on on random weeks. I was telling you before we got on here, I feel like, you know, we can talk about this a little bit after my timer's up. I feel like when Georgia Tech's playing well, they're like a fringe level top 25 team. If you do that over several games or a full season, you're probably, you know, 25, 24, something like that, you know, very back into the top 25. When you're playing poorly, they look like a bottom 25 team. They look like an absolute giant bag of ass out there. The defense looks like they don't practice. They look horrible. They don't know where to line up. They can't tackle. A team that was averaging just a shade over two yards per carry ran for six yards per carry in this game, Mike. You can't make that up. That is ridiculous. It is horrible. Jeff Sims made a couple of freshman mistakes. You get that. That's fine. It drives me more just obscenely crazy how much this team seconds. loves to implode on itself. The self-destructive penalties, not knowing the snap count, not knowing where to line up, it's a coaching problem, Mike. It is, it, I don't care about transformations and talent and recruiting and all that. None of it matters. What matters is coaching. That is the, the simple stuff that makes a difference there. Paul and Johnson's seconds. teams never did that and never had anything to do with talent. I am sick of watching this team and their just ridiculous volatility and it drives me insane that they come out so flat on such a regular basis, looking so Time. horrible. It's, it's 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 absurd, and it makes me so mad to watch. Like that that is the thing that kills me here. Is it's not that they're you know it's not that Boston College is just that much more talented than them. It's that Boston College in game six under a new coaching staff is somehow more buttoned up than Georgia Tech in year two under this coaching staff. Explain that. I can't. I'm done. It is October 25th, 2020. Happy anniversary to my parents, by the way. Dilly dilly. Um, dilly dilly. Uh, I agree with you about Boston College. I don't think they're necessarily as good as their record indicates. They have barely beaten Texas State. They beat Duke, which congratulations. That's what you should do. Beat a bad Pittsburgh team by a point and then lost to, in my opinion, the only two good teams they played in North Carolina, which... I get it was 26-22, but North Carolina didn't play a game in three weeks. And Boston College committed five turnovers against Virginia Tech and got blown out of the stadium in Blacksburg last Saturday. Um, So BC is doing what they're supposed to do against bad teams, which is a marked improvement to the last few years under Steve Adazio. I will give Jeff Halfley credit where it's due. Boston College is better than they were last year and the last couple years under Adazio. But I don't believe that BC is necessarily as good as some of these wins have necessarily indicated. Yep. I'm not with that being it. said, with that being said, they were a hell of a lot better than Georgia Tech, like you mentioned, and you outlined it in detail. I think Jeff Sims is a good quarterback. I think it's going to take some time because he is a freshman. I think Jameer Gibbs is obviously an awesome running back. Um, he had eight carries for nine yards on Saturday. That wasn't good. Phil Dracovic, like you mentioned, only 145 yards passing for Boston College, did have two touchdowns. But the one thing that stood out to me more than anything else, and you mentioned it off the top, was the rushing attack of Boston College. Boston College comes into the game with the worst rushing offense in the ACC on a yards-per-play basis, averaging just, just over two yards per carry in ACC play. BC goes 44 carries for 264 yards and three touchdowns. That is a average of six yards per carry joey that is not good for the georgia tech defense 
and I am officially, and this might be early, but I'm going to call my shot right now. We're halfway, about halfway through year two. I'm calling my shot right now. I'm out on Jeff Collins. I'm not there yet, but I'm. it's definitely something I'm thinking about is when will I be out on Jeff Collins? Um, I, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I tweeted this out, Mike, and, and I'm getting very concerned. This is starting to look a little bit like Butch Jones, Tennessee, from the standpoint mm-hmm. of lots of talk, not a lot of substance. Uh-huh. And I think that's why I am most out on Jeff Collins. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lot of talk about how he needed to completely change the culture and a new system. And I don't listen. I'm with him. I get it. I understand that going from a triple option to a more modern college offense is a massive transformation. You got tired of watching Paul Johnson run for eight yards per carry on Virginia Tech just like everybody else. It's fine. I get it. Shut the hell up with that. (laughs) But defensively, listen, offense has been kind of a roller coaster, but look, if I'm a Georgia Tech fan, if I'm a Georgia Tech fan, exactly. From an offensive standpoint, that's not where the issues are Mm -mm. with me. Mm-mm. The issues for me are with the Georgia Tech defense, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be the strength of the team under a defensive-minded head coach. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like this year they've regressed defensively. They've taken a step forward offensively, which is yep. great because they needed to. They didn't know what they were even running last year from a scheme standpoint, which I get. You're playing with triple option linemen and trying to run an offense that's more modern. I get that it's going to be a disaster. But they've looked better offensively this year. Yep. That hasn't been the issue. I'm surprised at how they've rolled over defensively, especially in the front se- The front seven has played extremely poor all year for Georgia Tech. It's, yep. been very surpri- it's been very, very surprising to me. Like you mentioned, I think Georgia Tech, when they're playing well, plays like a fringe top 25 team. When they're playing poorly, looks like one of the worst teams in the FBS, yep. which there needs to be some middle ground. Yep. Get yeah. to the middle ground, and then, sorry, Hokies fans, but get to the middle ground, and you're Virginia Tech, which... Look, in year two under Collins, that would be fine. Be great. Right? That'd be great. You're winning seven or eight games. That would be a, gr- a, a great starting point in year two after completely changing the offensive identity. That would be great, but they're just not there right now. There's too much variability. Be winning my win total bet. That'd be great, too. Um, uh, the thing that you mentioned there is that, and, and it really sticks out to me, too, as I, as I kind of assess this team at this point. Offensively, as you mentioned, I mean, they're night and day better than last year. Last year, I was like, I agree. That was the side of the ball. I was like, did these guys practice? And and you're questioning what the hell does the offensive coordinator do all day? Because it was like it was like he had like 12 different playbooks and it was roll the dice on which one are you going to pick out for each game? Like it it was just completely incoherent. It, it, It was inconsistent. It was all sorts of a mess. This year, the offense, you know, you've had some freshman moments. Jeff Sims threw a pretty terrible interception in this game in the flat, you know, in in his own end of the field. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, freshman moment. It's fine. It happens. Not great. You had a couple of fumbles, one in particular that was on a play that maybe should have been blown dead. Like, that sucks. Yes, it got picked up by Boston College and run back in for a touchdown. Like, that happens too. The thing that I, I, I am just... I can't stand is the fact that last year I felt like from 2018 to 2019 Georgia Tech's defense took a significant step forward and and maybe you could chalk up some of that to opposing offenses just not feeling like they really had to score that many points because you didn't because Tech wasn't going to score anything right 
but from year one to year two, this defense has gotten worse. And not just like a little bit worse, it's gotten a lot worse. My. With a lot of talent returning. Yeah, like they had basically everybody back. So like this is the thing that I can't explain is with this coaching staff and the same players in place, all of a sudden now they've gotten worse. They are getting worse game over game. I can't explain much of any of this. Um, yeah. And it is very frustrating. It is very concerning from a coaching staff standpoint. Give it another year or two. I think Collins signed like a seven-year contract, so you're not getting out from under this anytime, anytime soon. But, I mean, it is it is not comforting watching how just flat, undisciplined, poorly coached this team has a habit of looking like in some of these games. Right. Right. So, and and you, you texted me. I mean, you texted me during the game yesterday, and, you know, you were obviously very upset, which yeah. I understand. But you did mention something that I think stood out to me. It was, you know, you expected more out of the defense, and the fact that they're losing games like this to Boston College against a team they should be very competitive against in year two is obviously something that's very troubling, which I get. And the issues with the defense, there's a parallel to how I feel and how, you know, the anger that I expressed with Virginia Tech's defense this year. It's it's the same sort of thing. It's like they have all this talent returning, Georgia Tech does, yet the defense takes a sizable step back when really nothing has changed. You have a better offense now. Mm-hmm. And and so that's, that's the thing. And, you know, Virginia Tech's got their own issues, but it's like it's a very similar kind of trend I'm sensing with the Georgia Tech fan base and the kind of apathy towards the way the defense has played this year. Yeah. I and, and I think the part about it all that just I, I, I really can't process is in that secondary for Georgia Tech is a bunch of juniors and seniors. Yeah. Guys that have a bunch of experience, you know, guys that have been starting for two and three years, like how it is that those guys have all of a sudden gotten so disorganized. I mean, you're blowing coverages. What have we talked about all year with this passing attack, Mike? There's two guys on this Boston College team you need to cover. Zay Flowers and Hunter Long. That's exactly right. That is it is that simple. If you can cover those guys, Dracovic doesn't really know who the third guy is. And yet, how is it that a number of times those guys are just completely like you wouldn't have even known they were on the field? Right. And then all of a sudden, they're 15 yards down the field in, in the middle of nobody, just wide open. Like, I don't understand how these things happen. Um, how is it that Phil Dracovic all of a sudden looks like freaking Michael Vick out there? Seven carries for 94 yards. Like, there's just such, like, undisciplined nonsense. There was a, there was a, a play where uh, David Curry, your, your sixth-year senior linebacker or whatever, runs on a blitz, like, right up the middle through the A-gap, runs free. He doesn't get touched. Jerkovic doesn't even really like juke that much. Like he, he almost just kind of resets his feet and all of a sudden David Curry has run right past him. Yeah. Like what happened? What on God's green earth is this defense doing in practice all week? Like, I don't know. So anyways, this team, yeah, it's, it's driving me insane. Uh, It's, it's really frustrating. I think the best maybe way to put it, um, I saw our, our buddy, Bud Elliott post an article late last week. It was after the preview Georgia Tech, <laughs> to put it this way, all season now, they've played six games. They have not yet had a game finish within 16 points of the point spread. Like, they are ev- either way outperforming the point spread or way underperforming the point spread. So if they're a three-point underdog, they're either winning the game by 13 or more 
or they're losing the game by 16 or more or 19 right. or more. Sorry. Um, that's, that's the level of inconsistency you're getting from this team. And that's the part that really does it for me. I I'm done. That's all I got. The one thing I'll say, and we'll get into this a bit more in the preview later this week, but Boston College averages six yards per rush as the worst rushing offense in the ACC against Georgia Tech's defense. And like you mentioned, Joey, Georgia Tech welcomes the second best rushing offense in the conference to the flats next Saturday. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame and their high-powered rushing attack that just got bottled up at Pittsburgh gets to now face a Georgia Tech rushing defense as a tune-up game for Clemson. Yep. Yikes. I'm sure they're going to exercise a couple of demons here. I would say so on paper, but, you know, stranger things have happened in 2020. Oh, that's for sure. Um, Boston College 48, Georgia Tech 27. Good for you, Boston College. 4-2, and two. good stuff, well played. Did and good for you in your minute and a half that you spoke there. Thank you. Thank you. I probably took a few more liberties through the rest of that recap. But, mm-hmm. um, no, good on Boston College. You know, good win. Do what you need to do. That's great. Yeah, B- BC took a few more liberties as well. Mm-hmm. I- I'm with you, though. I-, I don't really buy four and two Boston College as like a no. – they're decidedly better than I thought they were They were going to be. Absolutely. In year one. Um, yep. This felt like a full-on rebuild, but it, it hadn't really been that. But I, I also don't think – I mean, they're, they're like receiving a couple of votes in the polls. They're not that good. No. They're, they're top 40 good. They're not top 25 good. Yeah, that's for sure. Yep. Uh, let's move on, Mike. Miami, 19, Virginia, 14. Uh, this was your pick of the week, was Miami to cover 12 and a half. They did not. Mm, I want to kill Manny Diaz. Yeah. So – uh, maybe maybe the feds come after me after that one. But in fairness, this game was like kind of played in the rain. It was kind of a sloppy, horrible setup. weather. Yeah, yep. it was kind of kind of a gross game to begin with. But Miami, um, not not really what you would say imposing themselves on a uh, on a Virginia team that they had outgunned. Very odd game. Mm-hmm. Very odd game. Miami all of a sudden can't run the ball which it's a little bit strange to me because Miami had this rushing attack beginning of the year that looked really good. And now in two consecutive weeks, I get playing against Pittsburgh, you're going to have trouble running the football, but against UVA and the way that UVA's defense has looked all of a sudden, you're only going to average two and a half yards per carry. That seemed a little bit odd to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and something to continue to monitor as Miami kind of continues through the season here. Uh, De'Ara King had a really nice game, uh, 21 of 30 for 322 yards and a touchdown in the driving rain. That was very impressive. I, It's almost becoming more and more like a one-man show with him, which is what it was at Houston. I did not necessarily expect that to be the case here at Miami. Like early part of the year, Cameron Harris was a bigger impact, you know, had a bigger impact offensively in the running game than he's had in the last several games. So Miami's rushing attack obviously add a little bit more balance, and it wasn't just gear. King just kind of doing everything himself. It just seems like King is the entire offense right now, which I think will be problematic for Miami later on with some of the other teams they play on their schedule. Not going to be an issue with UVA. It was a very weird game. I feel like Miami was probably two or three touchdowns better and just didn't score. It was odd. They, like, accumulated a bunch of yards. I thought... 
theoretically they played well <laughs> in a lot of points in this game, but just could never really pull away. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it was very strange. And Virginia had a legitimate opportunity to win this game. And Brennan Armstrong, of course, got the start and played a majority of the snaps. A quarterback um, had we two touchdown sure he passes. Was going to. Yeah, weren't sure he was going to. And you know, Bronco. We mentioned this in the preview. Bronco mentioned he was going to have like a three quarterback rotation, and you know, we weren't sure who we were going to see. And it was Brennan Armstrong for a majority of the game. So it was good to see him back. Um, and again, talk about one man offense. He throws for 181 yards and two touchdowns. He carries the ball 15 times for 91 yards, over six yards a clip. He was pretty much the entire offense. Wayne Tulapapa was averaging f- over five and a half yards per carry. Didn't get the ball nearly as much as we expected him to. Um, it was a very odd game. The weather was bad. I thought both defenses played moderately well. I was far more impressed with Miami's defense than I was UVA's. But UVA left some opportunities out there on the field offensively. I think they're going to be kicking themselves because Miami just didn't execute offensively um, and score the points that they needed to with the yards that they accumulated. It was a very almost inefficient performance for the number of yards they racked up. I thought Miami would do a better job of getting the ball in the end zone, and they didn't. And UVA had their fair share of opportunities to go out and win this game but they're inherently limited offensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about Miami being limited. UVA is really limited, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't do anything particularly well. They don't throw it well. They don't really run it well. Like it's a struggle to score points for Virginia. And yeah. I think Miami, I believe Miami was pretty fortunate to be playing Virginia and other offenses struggled in this game because I think otherwise Miami could have definitely been had last night. But it's not because they don't have the talent. Again, I do feel differently about this Miami team because of what De'Ara King is and Rhett Lashley and, and the play calling. I feel differently about this Miami team this year than I have in years past because I do think the skill talent has always been there. But I think the potential for this team to continue to get better is definitely there now that they have a quarterback. It's just a little bit troubling that they aren't able to convert in the red zone like they need to against better teams down the line, I think that'll hurt them. I think they were very fortunate to be playing against a Virginia team that struggled the way they did offensively in this game. Yeah, I was watching this game, and one of the things that I think we've kind of always known to some degree about Virginia, but I think is especially true this year, is that this Virginia defense, like, I I look at all the individuals out there, and I don't find that any of them are like outstandingly fast, outstandingly strong, outst- you know, outstandingly athletic, outstandingly instinctual. Like, like just generally from like an athleticism and a physical ability standpoint and all that. Like, it's they're fine. Like, there's very little standout there, but they're so well coached. They are so fundamentally sound. That's how you're able to abuse a team like Miami who has a bit of an inexperienced offensive line. You know, you're able to get in and get some sacks and disrupt their running attack and all this stuff is that it is a fundamentally sound, well-coached, just sound defense. Um, and that's it's interesting to watch when you feel like a team is, is generally outgunned from a physical capability standpoint, and yet yep. they're able to hang with them the way that Virginia did. That was kind of my big takeaway. Like Miami, as good as they are at running the ball, like to go for just two and a half yards per carry in this entire game. I, I mean, hats off to Virginia's defense. A, B. I mean, 
continue once again thank god for Derek king if you're a miami fan because yep. he's a guy that there's something about this Miami program, and I don't know what it is that they get into some of these games where they are so like over talented compared to the opponent, and it's it's like a lot of these guys just you know they just relax and they kind of you know rest on their haunches a little bit and they just it's just like they don't bring the same level of, of juice so to speak to to these games. And Derek King, it's like, I don't know, he comes from outside the program and he's able to kind of will them to victory in some of these games. Um, I feel like, you know, he's limited to some degree, you know, again, with his arm, but 21 of 30 for 322 and a touchdown and no picks. like In the rain? Yeah, in the rain. Um, and, and shout out, by the way, to Mike Harley. 10 catches for 170 yards and a touchdown. Like, he had a hell no of a kidding. game. No kidding. It was those two guys in the passing game that kind of kept this thing going for Miami. So... Um, I mean, good win for them. Nice for Virginia to kind of keep it close. I mean, it was 19 to seven and then a late touchdown kind of made it a little bit of a game there, but I don't know what to think of this Miami team and this offense. It, it is better and it's, it's better coached than in previous years, but it still just doesn't feel like it's the complete picture. I don't know. It's, I, I don't know what to make of this Miami team. It's, 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 it's kind of strange to me. Yeah, and let me let me say this. It was just add this to the list of things we were wrong about in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about oh, how big of an impact is Dear King actually going to make this Miami team? Mm-hmm. Um, he has single handedly won them a couple games. Yep. So I think we were absolutely wrong with that take. Games I think that was that, incorrect. Games that previous Miami teams would have lost. Yeah, like this one, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example. Yep. I think we were absolutely wrong. With that, so I want to just kind of correct ourselves here. Not for the sake of making us look bad, but I think we were wrong. I think we deserve to just give Dear King the credit he deserves and continue to do that, and that was a wrong take in the preseason. He is so extraordinarily important to this Miami team that if you remove him, seriously, if you remove him from the position, this is all of a sudden an offense that, like we've seen in recent years, whether it's Nikosi Perry or Jaron Williams or Malik Rozier, or, you know, name the quarterback. Like there is potential left on the table without a guy like De'Aaron King at the position. Mm-hmm. And this is where Miami is going to go through the season. They're going to win. They're you know they're going to win majority of their games. They're going to finish a year with two, maybe three losses, and they're going to play in a nice bowl game. They're going to have a nice year, and it's going to be because De'Aaron King's playing quarterback for them as a mm-hmm. grad transfer. Otherwise, who knows? Who knows? He is a gigantic addition to this roster. Yep, he absolutely is. Uh, Mike, let's keep moving here. Miami 19, Virginia 14. We still got a couple more games we got to hit on here. Um, The one game that we had actually pegged pretty perfectly this weekend, uh, the number 14 North Carolina Tar Heels 48, the number 23 NC State Wolfpack 21. Um, This was a game, again, NC State didn't have Devin Leary. They started Bailey Hockman. Things went pretty poorly pretty quickly. They moved to Ben Finley. And once again, Mike, we, we've seen what Devin Leary's doing. We yep. now saw what Ben Finley has done. Can anybody remind me why has Bailey Hockman been on the field at all for NC State all this year? <sighs> yep. I mean, I come away asking the same question. There are two guys in that quarterback room that are clearly better than him from a, an accuracy and a pro- productivity standpoint. 
if you look at the numbers, oh, he looks pretty good, 14 to 24 for 215 and, and a right. touchdown and a pick. But I'm just telling you right now, Mike, I, I think a good amount of that was in garbage time. Like when he came in those first two or three drives for NC State, that offense did not look good. He was off target. The ball was not coming out on time. It was thrown into coverage, all this stuff. It was bad. And then Ben Finley comes in, and all of a sudden, look who's moving down the field. It's the NC State offense. Yeah, it's almost like, and it did seem like it in this game, and it seemed like that in the past when Hawkman's played. He's definitely pressing. Mm-hmm. He's pressing a lot, throwing mm-hmm. the football, throwing it into coverage, um, you know, pushing it down the field to receivers who just aren't open. I, it's just there's something about Hawkman playing the position for NC State that can't give you a lot of comfort as a Wolfpack fan. I mean, yep. it just doesn't seem like he's totally comfortable back there. It seems like he's almost feels like he needs to will the team to make plays when he admittedly does have a decent amount of skill talent around him. Like we talked about the running game, which was terrible in this game, by the way, which is odd because <laughs> North Carolina does not have a good rushing defense. No, I mean, they don't. No. They don't. Um, we talked about the stats going to Virginia Tech game, how North Carolina had the best rushing offense in the ACC statistically but they played Boston College and Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And NC State has two really good running backs, Zonovan Knight, Bam Knight, of course, and Ricky Person Jr. Um, Bam Knight had nine carries for 41 yards. Ricky Person had four carries for 12. Um, neither one of them touched the ball like they needed to. Like, you need to give the ball to those guys. It's the basis of your offense. On no planet did I expect them to go into this game with Bailey Hawkman and try to throw the ball more than they ran it given who they have in the running back room and who they have playing quarterback in place of Devin Leary. I didn't think that they'd be in this position where we need to throw the ball a billion times on North Carolina to try to beat them. I thought they tried to establish a run against a North Carolina rushing defense that, look, hadn't lived up to the billing the last few weeks. They didn't do that. Yep. And that was what was most shocking to me about NC State's game plan in this game is they just kind of went away from the run early. I get it's a negative game script and you fall behind and you're trying to, you know, you're playing from behind, you're throwing the ball a ton to catch up. I get all that. But the, in the early part of this game, I don't think NC state's running backs ran the ball or, or got the carries that they should have Yeah, uh, did no. not get nearly as many touches as they probably deserved, given what they, what we all knew North Carolina had on the other side from a rushing defense standpoint. Yep. Um, but credit North Carolina's rushing defense for playing the way that it did when North, NC state did carry the ball. Yep. No, there was like zero attempt to establish the run early in this game for NC State, and it was weird. I, Lauren Brownlow and I were actually tweeting a little bit about this during the game. I mean, it was like late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, and I can try to find the tweet, but the long and short of it was basically like, I mean, how it is that Zonovan Knight you know, and Ricky Person end this game with a combined 13 carries, and by the way, Ricky Person left this game you know, midway through the second quarter with a concussion, and it did not look good. Um, yeah. So hopefully he's okay, but yeah, he's gonna miss some time. How how it is that it was like you almost forgot that those guys were on the offense, and instead it was like this air it out, you know, you just like a pass, 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 constant attempt thing. Like it was bizarre. Like it was a weird game plan. It didn't make any sense. But that was the idea. It was like you know it. What I'm some guy sitting on his couch, and I know that you should be leaning on your two-headed monster of a run game against not that good of a run defense, rather than forcing your backup quarterback to try to win the game for you. Like, right. what are you doing? Like, what? That makes yeah. no sense. And, and if you look what? at the the drive chart for NC State starting the game, first four drives, three and out, four and out, three and out, interception. Yeah. I mean, what what are we doing? 
<laughs> right. With your second and third string quarterback in, I just thought there would be more of an attempt to establish a run. It just wasn't there. Yep, not at all. Wasn't there. Um, by the way, North Carolina played in this game too, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, speaking of establishing the run, that's something North Carolina did. That's correct. Uh, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, 36 carries for 266 yards and four touchdowns. That'll do. Yeah, best two-head rushing offense or monster, whatever you want to call it. Maybe in the, country. In the ACC. Yeah, in the ACC for sure, and maybe in the country. I agree. Um, yeah, they were good. Sam Howell was good. I mean, they come away with, what was it, almost, you know, the better part of 600 yards of total offense, outgained NC State by almost 200 yards, um, no turnovers. Like, not a lot more you can ask for from NC State in this game, or from uh, yeah. North Carolina in this game, excuse me. Yeah, and look, if you're – you know, coming into this game, I, I think we were in the position where we thought this was a tough spot for NC State. We mentioned that on the preview. You and I both thought North Carolina would cover, and they did. I bet on it. That was a, one of a handful of wins for me yep. on Saturday. And North Carolina's offense played exactly how we pictured they would play. Um, I, I thought NC State left some plays out on the table. Um, I, I think they could have really, if they had this back, they would. <laughs> I think they would definitely try to run the ball a little bit better than they did. That's for sure. Um, yep. I don't know. It was just, it was surprising. And again, Ricky Person, uh, again, didn't look good. And I think that, you know, NC State, if they could have this back, they'd try to run the ball and establish a run a little bit more than they did because there was just, again, no real attempt to do so. Yep. And that's problematic. I mean, at the very least, we can say, I guess, Bam Knight and Ricky Person added five catches in the past game. Yeah. So maybe at least you're trying to get him involved somehow. But again, this North Carolina rushing defense is not anything to write home about. They're not particularly good at that. So I I, I don't know. You're a pretty good rushing offense. Maybe just run it right at him. <laughs> like, right. I mean, I'll, I, you can pay me, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a week. And I'll tell you to do that. Like <laughs> you don't got to pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a coordinator to tell you to do that. So what do I know? Right. Yeah, um, and I mean, I think I think North Carolina fans are sitting here saying, oh my God, the rushing defense, they found something. It's like, I mean, when Bam Knight did get the ball, he was averaging over four and a half yards per carry. I mean, I'm not sure that you necessarily found something yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think this was a very odd game plan by NC State. I will say that North Carolina's passing defense, I thought, um, even though, like, the final stats indicate they gave up, you know, almost 360 yards passing. I mean, they do force three turnovers through the air. I mean, that's, you know, something that's obviously a good thing to do. Um, and, and I think that North Carolina's defense as a whole played pretty well in this game. But I, I think that moving forward, if you're a North Carolina fan with the team, the type of teams that you have remaining on the schedule, namely like Notre Dame, you're going to have to be able to really stop the run and, NC State's failure to really even try to establish a run is what was most shocking, and mm -hmm. and that's my biggest takeaway from this game, to be yep. quite honest, because I knew North Carolina could score. Yep. No, completely. the The only other thing I'll mention here that I thought was uh, unusual or interesting or strange about NC State's game plan, and and to some degree it worked, I guess, but it was very clear that NC State's defense did not have any interest in pressing North Carolina's wide receivers. They None. were they were playing seven, eight, nine yards off the receivers like almost every play. 
And so there were a number of plays where Sam Howell took the snap, had an easy throw, and just kicked it out, and it was an easy five yards. Yeah, and Howell's too good, man. He's going to yeah. check down and take what the defense gives him. Yeah, he's not going to make that mistake. Like that, that works for a team that if you give enough chances, they're going to implode. They're going to turn it over. They're going to you know throw an off-target pass, and it'll be dropped or this, that, or the other. This North Carolina team is not going to do that if you just if you just give them free yards like that. So right. I didn't really get that, but I don't know. I mean, to some degree it worked. Like they they did force him to really, you know, we'll use a big word here, matriculate the ball down the field. I mean, their first, I mean, their first half drive chart, Mike, ten plays touchdown, twelve plays punt, eight plays touchdown, thirteen plays miss field goal, seven plays end of half. Like, yep, it did. It did take them a while to move the ball down the field and yet they're able to do it they scored 17 points on five drives so that's yep you know results anyways north carolina 48 nc state 21 last game mike and and usually we get to this point and we're like well this isn't really noteworthy games at this point but <laughs> louisville 48 florida state 16 uh hey, hello louisville. hello hey uh javian hawkins 16 carries for 174 yards and three scores um I, I don't know what got into Louisville this week. Um, first of all, I will say this. I texted you, I think it was Thursday, maybe after the episode posted, maybe it was Friday, that I was mad at myself because I had forgotten as we were doing this preview, I had every intention of just fading Florida State in this spot. Yep. Realizing that there was a couple of fluky things that happened with them last week to give them the win and all this stuff. Now you have to go on the road and all that. I I hated myself, you know, in retrospect, I should have picked Louisville. Man, Louisville just stuck it to them. I don't know what got into them this week, but this is the Louisville we thought we were going to see for a lot of this year. Yeah, and for the second week in a row, I, I mean, a high <laughs> Malik Cunningham completes a high percentage of his passes, but this time with a bit more efficiency, 278 yards passing, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, he went 21 of 24 last week against Notre Dame, but he the yardage just wasn't there. Yeah, it was nothing. A lot of checkdowns. Yeah, a lot of checkdowns in that game. So this is one of the first times this year we can look at Willie Cunningham and say, hey, man, you played a good game, didn't turn the ball over. Looked like the Willie Cunningham of 2019. So Looks like really Mikhail good. Cunningham even. Looks like, yeah, even <laughs> name that Cunningham. <laughs> yeah. Um, Javion Hawkins, like you mentioned, dear God, he was averaging almost 11 yards per carry, had three scores on the ground. Florida State's rushing defense. <laughs> uh, what rushing defense? Yeah. Yeah, Don't know what you're just about. not there. Yeah, not there. 2-2 Atwell, by the way. Three catches for 129 yards and a touchdown there. Uh, that's real good. That's that's our boy 2-2, what we've been uh, missing most of this year. Right. And to be honest, like, even with 2-2 Atwell, just, I mean, Des Fitzpatrick's played okay, but, like, that's been the issue for Louisville, right? They haven't had the receivers gaining separation in the passing game, and Cunningham simply hasn't been just hitting anybody like these guys are running open. He's missing guys, um, but he seems to have put it together here the last couple of weeks. So maybe we're starting to see um, the better version of Malik Cunningham, the version that we saw a year ago where he was, I, I guess like a couple passing attempts short of being one of the best um, passers in the country in terms of efficiency, like right behind Joe Burrow. Like we're getting back to that level potentially mm-hmm. here with Cunningham that we just didn't really have throughout the month of September and early October. Yeah. So that's a really promising sign if you're a Louisville fan. And then on top of that, defensively, you know, left a lot to be desired, but you kept Florida State out of the end zone, which, I mean, hey, that's good. Yep. That's all you I can mean, ask for. Florida State averages over six and a half yards per carry. Um, Jordan Travis, again, throwing the football is just not the best thing in the world for him right now 
mm-hmm. it's safe to say his, his strength is running the football. Mm-hmm. Um, he does enough in the passing game to be dangerous, but when you go 14 of 32 against the Louisville passing defense, it's been objectively terrible for most of the season. Like, not the best performance through the air. Um, didn't turn the ball over a ton. Th- you know, only had like that one interception. He did have 12 carries for 47 yards and a touchdown. Louisville, uh, Florida State as a team, 265 yards and a touchdown. You had a number of guys getting to fold there. Uh, Lawrence Toafili. I always mess that name up. Damian Webb, like a lot of guys got a lot of different carries. Jay Sean Corbin got in the mix as well. So Florida State was mixing it up in the running game and they, you know, they were able to run the ball well enough to keep Louisville's defense semi off balance. The problem was Florida State just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Yep. It was amazing to me. Yeah. The struggles that they had. Um, my biggest takeaway, I, I think it's becoming pretty clear, you know, Florida State's offense has a definite spark under Jordan Travis that they have not had under other guys that have been, you know, their starting quarterback this year. Absolutely. But it comes at a cost, Mike is the game plan for stopping Florida State's offense right now under Jordan Travis. Stop the run, force him to throw it. Yep. And if you can do that, you're probably going to win the game because the, the passing offense here for the Seminoles under Travis, is it's just not there. It's not working. Yeah, I mean, shit, man. Don't even stop the run. I mean, Florida State had six and over six and a half yards per carry in this game, and I almost you know, forgot. he's still... Throws almost, the story two times. I almost forgot Chuba Purdy, Chuba Purdy, whatever we're saying. He he got in this game late in the game, went 0 for 9 passing. That is impressive in its own way. Yeah, is it as impressive as Vincent Davis for Pittsburgh? I, having oh, nine carries for zero yards? Big yikes, Vincent Davis. Um, okay. Yeah, no, this this Florida State passing game is not impressive right now. And it's it's not for a lack of, of athletes and, and guys who can get open on the outside. It's the quarterback play there. It is not getting the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. Um, yeah. So, to me, that's if you can kind of contain the run game and force Florida State to throw the ball to beat you, you got a real good shot. Because I don't think they can do that all that consistently on any game-to-game, drive-to-drive basis. It's just not happening. I I will say I'm pretty disappointed with Florida State. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all I said in the preview and what I said in the last recap. It's like seems like Florida State is starting to find something. They beat Jacksonville State, which isn't that big of a deal until you look at the box score and see they were trailing at halftime. Jordan Travis goes in, plays really well there, plays well against Notre Dame. Obviously, Florida State loses that game. Um, Florida State is one of these teams that, you know, you can feel the momentum building. Obviously, they go in, they they upset North Carolina. You know, they welcome the Tar Heels to town, and they nearly blow that game. <laughs> but they pull off that upset and then just lay an absolute egg on the road at Louisville. Mm-hmm. And it's just, man, oh, man, I'm disappointed with the way that they looked. And, you know, Florida State's got Pittsburgh next here in a couple of weeks, which it's good to have a bye week, kind of lick your wounds and kind of assess how this first half of the year has gone. And it gives Florida State some time, too, to try to figure out the passing offense because that's something they're going to need with some of the teams they're playing here down the stretch. I mean, they got Pitt, they got NC State, Clemson, that's pray for them. And then, and then UVA and Duke, which, look, there's some winnable games here for Florida State, certainly, but mm-hmm. they're going to have to have some semblance of a passing offense to win several of those games. Defense isn't terrible. No. If, 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 if the offense can give them a little bit of support... The defense won't quit on them, and they're not terrible. 
but games like this is where you basically see the defense start to quit is like i mean offense didn't do anything what the hell are we doing like yeah let's get out of here you know so yeah um i, I mean still kind of early in the developmental phases for mike norvell's florida state team but i mean you're seeing a little bit of something but it's not great so it's you know it, it like you said it's going to take some time i think yeah i mean they got five games left hit at home they go on the road to nc state home against clemson home against uva at duke so clemson's mm-hmm. going to be a loss yeah so out of pit nc state uva and duke two home two away what do you think florida state does there joey i think you're hoping for two and two agree i i i will be shocked if they don't win at least one of those four non-clemson games yeah i think florida state's got real potential to go three and one in that stretch they could but yeah um, and obviously Clemson kind of sandwiched in the middle there where they're going to lose that game by like four scores. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, th- they're four, in a position. 40 yeah. scores? 40 scores. Um, I mean, Clemson can't beat Syracuse by four scores. So anyway, sorry. Um, Big yikes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was almost four scores. But yeah, I think if Florida State goes two and two out of the Pitt, NC State, UVA, and Duke stretch that they have, I, I think – you're happy with that if you're a Florida State fan, considering what you've seen this year out of the Seminoles. I think there's potential for three and one, and I'm with you. I'd be shocked if they didn't go at least one and three. If they lose all four of those games, we're not going to be happy with the way that Florida State played this year because then they're going to basically just go two and nine, which we can't yeah. have that. As somebody who I think picked him to win like seven or eight games, it's really kind of a microcosm of my uh, my picks this season, if that's what the uh, the base case ends, or the end case ends up being. So, hopefully, I, that's mean, not I the have, case. I had him in that six or seven win range, so mm-hmm. I I might be falling a bit short as well potentially here. Just you know, by one or two. Yeah, Louisville forty-eight, Florida State sixteen. Uh, Mike, you want to give up some awards? Let's do it. We have not prepared this at all. Usually, we would sit here and, and commiserate beforehand and say, "Oh, well, I think this one or that one." So we're just going to kind of do this one live. Um, Mike, for the Go ACC moment of the week. Um, a certain moment sticks out in my mind, and it was actually, you know, if you look at the stat line for NC State in that UNC-North Carolina State game, uh, Ben Finley did throw a couple of interceptions, but just boy howdy if one of them was really not his fault. Um, mm-hmm. Did you see this play? I did. Yeah, Ben Finley, I think it was his first drive of the game, um, and as mentioned, it was like an eight-play drive that ended in an interception. What, what the stat sheet doesn't show, Mike, is that that, pl- that drive ended with Ben Finley throwing to a wide-open receiver in the end zone, hitting him in the hands, and then there was a bobble, and then there was, like, another bobble as the guy's, like, falling down, and then North Carolina's defender jumps over the top and intercepts the ball. What, yep. What should have been an easy walk-in, like, no-contact touchdown turns into a turnover somehow. Brutal. So you know what, NC State, go ACC to that. That's the go ACC moment of the week in my book. Yeah, that was just terrible. No, nothing good happened with that play. I think I saw um, for NC, NC State. State. NC State super fan James Curl tweeted out that is literally something that could only happen to NC State. Right. And if I weren't a Georgia Tech fan, I would probably agree with him. Yeah, but <laughs> happens yeah. to Georgia Tech too. It sure does. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, just gosh. I feel for you, Ben Finley. You earned that touchdown pass, and it's, it really, you know, your your touchdown to interception ratio should have been two to one, and ended up one to two, and that looks a lot different on the stat sheet that way. Yep, I got you tried award, Joey. 
Oh yeah, what you got? I do. Um, tackling in the ACC. Yeah, Pitts- not good. <laughs> Pittsburgh against Notre Dame. Ben Skronik. Ben Skronik caught one touchdown pass in particular, the first one, where he's kind of running across the field from left to right, and Ian Book's doing the opposite, so he's going right to left, throwing across his body. Ben Skronik catches the football in coverage, and Pitt just refuses to tackle. Mm-hmm. So, major issue in that game. Um, NC State trying to tackle any of North Carolina's running backs. Yeah, major major issue. Um, Javante Williams and Michael Carter both had their way um, yards after contact. Those were I don't want to say they were at a premium because they had their way there. Uh, Virginia Tech trying to stop Wake Forest rushing attack missed tackles all over the field. And last but certainly not least, Joey. Uh, well, <laughs> let me let me rephrase that. There's Florida State against Louisville, which is really bad as well. Mm-hmm. Tackling department. And then last but certainly not least, Georgia Tech trying to tackle mm-hmm. anybody coming out of Boston College's backfield. Yep. Yeah, no, if, if missed tackles were a currency, we'd be paying off the national debt right now, Mike. Uh, it oh, was, boy. It was bad this weekend. Yeah. And, and, you know, to some degree, we can sit here and say, oh, okay, well, COVID year, no camps, practices are, are altered and weird. And so, of course, but just guys that are playing football at this level and have been playing defense since they were, I don't know how old I'm just guessing. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Got to be better. Yeah. Got to be better. Not great. Uh, so go to see to that. You guys tried, uh, you tried and it went okay. Um, Mike, do we have a, a Kobe Bryant Memorial volume shooter of the week? I think we have two from the same game, Joey. See, I was looking at it. Okay, you, you go ahead with this one. Okay. I feel like I, so, I, I'm forgetting someone here, I think. Okay, well, don't worry. I have two here. boy. I have Notre Dame's rushing attack as a collective unit. Oh, yes. 50 carries for 115 yards and two touchdowns. That was 2.3 yards per carry. Maybe just stop running the ball. I don't know. Yes. Well, they did, <laughs> which is why they scored 45 points. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh passing the football. Joey Yellen, 10 of 27 for 101 yards and three interceptions. I mean, Pittsburgh running the football, 20 carries for 44 yards. Mm. Maybe just rushing in general was at 70 carries for 159 yards and two touchdowns. Pittsburgh's what's that on a, offense in general? Yeah, what's that on a yards per carry basis? Don't worry, I got you right here with a little calculator action. Pittsburgh snapped the ball 53 times and came away with less than 200 yards. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh combined 70 carries for 159 yards. is 2.27 yards per carry. That Ooh. is not good. Ooh. That's real bad. <laughs> real bad. 70, 70 times you saw the football snapped and handed it to somebody, and on average they got less than three yards with it. Which, yep, and frankly, is kind of, in a nutshell, how we saw this game going. What we didn't expect is that all of a sudden Ian Book looks like freaking Peyton Manning back there. Exactly, yeah. Which, we knew he could complete a high percentage of his passes if the receivers got open. We just didn't think the receivers would get open. That is correct, yeah. Boy, were we wrong about that. Yeah, so big volume shooter of the week award to, I guess, the entirety of Pittsburgh's offense plus Notre Dame's rushing attack. Um, yeah. This game was not a sight for sore eyes unless... Ian Book was throwing the ball, which is really just not at all what I thought I was going to be saying at this point in time when we were doing the preview. Yep, but that's a re- there's a reason why we just consistently lose all of our bets against the spread. That's right. Yeah. Mike, who's your team of the week? 
team of the week has to be Wake Forest, right? I was going to say, give me Wake Forest. And player yeah. of the week for me is, has got to be Nick Anderson. Um, yeah. We, we don't it, – it's it's hard, you know, from a stat sheet standpoint, and especially from just like an individual effort standpoint to really call out individual defensive efforts enough here. But give me Nick Anderson. I mean, uh, the, the kid coming, you know, freshman, walk on, this, that, the other, three interceptions, 11 tackles, nine of them solo, like – what an effort from that guy. Um, Wake Forest is team of the week, and he is my player of the week, personally. Yeah, um, he's my player of the week as well, and it was hard not to pick him. Usually, I try to pick someone separate from you. I think he's got to be the got to be the player of the week. Like you mentioned, 11 tackles, 9 solo, led the Wake Forest defense in that department, had three interceptions in this game of Hendon Hooker, and goes from walk-on to scholarship player in the process in the huge upset win for Wake Forest over Virginia Tech, so he's got to be a player of the week, Joey. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll call out, you know what? Phil Dracovic, honorable mention. Uh, not only 13 to 21 passing for 145 and two scores, but also led the team in rushing. Seven carries for 94 yards. Um, give him credit. Um, you know, credit to North Carolina's running backs in particular. Javante Williams going for 160 yards. Um, so, number of good individual performances here. Probably should also call out Christian Beal Smith going for 129 on 13 carries in that game for Wake Forest. So, um, again, good individual performances here. A um, lot, of, lot of good options here for Player of the Week and Team of the Week. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Mike Harley in that Miami game too. Yep. <laughs> Shout yep. out to him. <laughs> he went off. Yep. That so, is correct. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, he had 100, what 170 yards and a touchdown. So that's really good. Yeah, just. As usual, a lot of big-time performances in the ACC, but we'd be remiss if it wasn't Anderson this week, given yep. what he was able to do. Absolutely. Shout-out to that guy. I hope there's a – I haven't seen it yet. Is there a good Twitter video of him receiving a scholarship or something? Uh, I don't believe so, although there was a good article from our boy, Connor O'Neill, who basically just said, hey, scholly, 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 which is, I guess, what they were chanting in the locker room. <laughs> so I'm sure the video's out there. I just haven't seen it. So the scholarship is a peer pressure situation, I take it. Yes. All Dave right. Kloss was like, oh, f I gotta give him one now. <laughs> Sorry. I hit that out. Grab Beep. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's write down the timestamp there. Yep. We'll edit that out here later. Yep. Mike, that's all I got on week seven. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Any we other told curse you, words you'd like to drop in? I think, I think I'm good on the curse words. We told you it was going to be a long recap. Yeah. So We had a lot to lot talk to about. Say. I mean, every single game was intriguing this week, which mm -hmm. we can't always say in the ACC. Even, you know, the number one team in the country is a 47-point favorite, found a way to be intriguing. So, I mean, there was one game that would be a lot less intriguing if I weren't a Georgia Tech alumnus. So, mm. But, yeah, well, I mean, we got a lot of Georgia Tech people listening to this podcast, and you're an alum, so we got to go into that one in detail. Absolutely, every time. Yeah. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, we got week eight to come back and preview. We are, we are really cruising along through the season here, um, running out of time a little bit, but getting a, a pretty good sense of what these teams are on some level. And otherwise, I mean, you never know what any of these teams are going to be any of this year. So Yeah, yep. And, and you know what's weird about this season is I still feel like the season's just getting started because the Big Ten is now just back. Yeah. And Games in the regular season now go through the middle of December. Mm -hmm. So it feels like even though the ACC is a decent ways along because they haven't had any like real major COVID issues that totally derailed the conference. I know that some teams have had some problems, but they've managed it well enough to get through these games. It's awesome that we're in a situation now where 
while the ACC has played a lot of games, college football is still just kind of getting into full swing, it feels like, which is kind of cool in a year that has otherwise really sucked. Yeah. As somebody who back in March or April, we were doing this show and I was thinking, oh, well, I mean, we're going to be playing some ball this fall and it's not going to be a problem and we'll have it figured out by then. And then we definitely didn't. And it, like over a while, you know, I, I really started questioning that, like thinking, I, I don't think we're going to make it there. I, I think right. we're getting pushed to the spring or might just be an outright cancel. And to see not only the fact that we're doing it and, you know, we can have a conversation about how successful is it with some of the guys that are missing and contact tracing and this, that and the other. Like the fact that we are still able to feel OK about putting teams on the field week in, week out playing some games. I see the uniforms. I got a couple of marching bands in the stands, like all this stuff. Like it, it still feels good that we're able to do some of that to some degree, uh, you know, if yep. nothing else. Yeah, I agree. And so. it's good that the majority of the folks who have been involved with this have been able to stay healthy mm-hmm. as well. Um, there've been outbreaks, but no serious issue. I mean, just speaking on Virginia tech's behalf, they've had major COVID issues. We've talked about that at length. Um, but nobody's been hospitalized and nobody's been in a in a position where, you know, they can't eventually suit up and play. It seems like they've got it under control with tech. And hopefully that continues to be the case across the country as football kind of continues to perk up in the Big Ten. Now the Pac-12, it's just something good to look forward to and otherwise a really crappy year. So, yep. I'm glad that we're able to kind of put this show on this year with actual football and for the most part, teams able to stay healthy enough and kind of get through this pandemic. It's been wild. So it's just nice to at least have kind of the glimmer of hope on Saturdays. Yep, absolutely. Mike, let's get out of here. Let's come back and preview week eight. In the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And you might have noticed, by the way, Mike, that we had a, a little bit of a new intro outro music on the week seven preview. Uh, I did. That that request actually came in straight from an email from uh, one of our listeners, Mr. Keith Derrick. So if y'all got songs that you'd like to, to hear on the intro outro, send us an email. Hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. We, we take requests. We're like a yeah. you know, late night radio DJ. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I'd- Hey, I mean, it's just nice to get emails. <laughs> That's right. We, we, Yeah, the email account gets lonely every so often, so send us something. Um, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, and especially on the Anchor app. Appreciate those who have. Uh, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. And I have one request for all of our listeners this week. Uh oh. Please give us a rating and a review, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on iTunes, wherever. Absolutely. Please give us a review and rate us. It would really, really help. One star, five stars, your call. What do, what do you think of this podcast? And chances are, if you're listening to it, it's not one star. Yeah, pushing us up in the Apple Store for all those podcasts is a huge help to us, and it gets us more listeners, so please do that. Yep, and we love your all's feedback. I mean, if y'all are hearing us feel like we're being unfair, if you think we're funny, whatever, like, just, you know, let us know. We, lo- we love to hear from you guys and, and know what yeah. you think. If you think we're void of professionalism, let us know that as well. Oh, we already know that. Yeah. But, you know, you can reinforce that. That's fine, too. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Five stars, though. Uh, ideally, yes. Yeah. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Big preview coming.
big preview coming. Yeah, week eight should be fun. Should be a lot of fun. Yep. So you guys stick with us. Uh, keep it tuned right here on your podcast machines. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and preview week eight? Yes, sir. You, you sure do. You sure do. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. I have I have Seattle my Seattle went to overtime against Arizona mm-hmm. I have Seattle minus three and a half Arizona made a field goal and then uh delay a game got called and then they missed the field goal <sighs> Seattle got the ball back there's a minute left in overtime <laughs> Wilson threw a pass to Wilson threw a pass to DK Metcalf he just broke it down the sideline for a touchdown so I thought Seattle just like had its miraculous cover and it just got called for holding. So. Oh, I was going like this because he was running the end zone. They just called it back. They called uh, David Moore for a chop block oh. on the screen pass. That's brutal. Oh, my God. I would have covered. I'm still recording. I might leave this in. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's so painful. It's a little Easter egg for the listeners. Oh, my God. Brutal. That just encapsulates me betting right now. It's just go ACC to that. Uh, worst beat of the year. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be an SVP bad beat. It's gotta be. <laughs> oh my god. Maybe they'll still score. Oh, uh, Russell Wilson just threw a pick, so they're definitely not gonna score. Oh. All right. Gambling is fun, Mike. Ah, uh, not for me. <laughs> <laughs>